Galatians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Where we are going to be tonight. Let's see if I can pull the right ribbon. There we go. Fifteen through seventeen. But when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Uh, Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. Uh, Some of you naive people are saying, how can he spend 35 minutes on these three verses? And the rest of you have learned over the 11 months. (laughs) That ain't no problem. Uh, Let's remember a couple of things. 13 through 17, verses 13 through 7, is him recounting his religious background uh, and, and showing how it in no way accounts for his conversion. So he, just a reminder, he's saying, just because I was a zealous Jew, that does not account for my conversion. This was all a work of God. Um, also remember that all the way through 2, I think 14 or 10, I'm not real sure, he's making five, I believe it was five different arguments for why he is uh a, a true apostle. Um, he's defending his apostleship, and he's making a number of different arguments. Uh, 13 through 17 is a long argument. Um, verses 15 through 17 is actual, are actually one sentence. Um, so that's one of the reasons we've broken it down the way we have. But, but this is the divine disclosure of the gospel to Paul. So he's defending his apostleship. Uh, he started that in verse 11. Now he's telling about, well, the source of it. And he tells us in verse 15, he begins there but and says, But when God... Immediately, he's letting us know God took the initiative. Paul did not. This, this wasn't something that Paul set out looking for. Uh, again, it's, it's more defense of the miraculous nature of his conversion. Uh, he's, he's letting them know not only did... Uh, did, did I not go looking for this? He's already told us how he persecuted the Jews, how he, I mean, the Christians, how he was zealous for it, how he was uh, a valedictorian of, of, of Christian persecuting class. He was the best at it and, and had all the credentials, had all the bragging rights for it. There was no way that this was anything he had fabricated, is what he's telling them. This isn't something that I came up with. Paul didn't do this, he says. God, but when God, who from my mother's womb, he was uh, set apart from birth, actually before birth, uh, that that word ek, from, uh, there's they, there are theologians that debate, what did he mean by that? Did he mean from the point of his birth or prior to his birth? Uh, which, is that really something we're going to argue about? But, you know, it, it, it shows even more of God's Sovereignty in his selection of Paul that even before he was born, before we saw him, before his mama saw him, before his daddy saw him, God saw him. God chose him. God set him apart. Uh, Allah Jeremiah, uh, who said he was selected in his, chosen in his mother's womb, set apart. Uh, the suffering servant of Isaiah 49, set apart in uh, his mother's womb. 
So Paul is is throwing back to that and saying, just like these guys, just like these prophets that you uh, you believe, you read, you we, we follow as Jews, God selected me the same way. And what was he? How was he called? Well, but when God, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by His grace. That's the next phrase we're going to look at. We could spend a lot of time on grace, right? I mean, that is the whole reason we're here. That that's our that's that's the reason for our salvation. Grace, uh, not getting, um, or rather, getting what we don't deserve. Salvation by grace alone, not anything we deserve. Paul is saying, despite his failings, despite everything that Paul was, the, everything that he described in uh, the pre- the previous uh, verses, verses thirteen and fourteen. Uh, despite those things, he was called because of God's grace. Uh, he he would have told us, and I think he's making this point here. Grace reached through his sinfulness to call him both to life and to purpose. And he called him to salvation on the Damascus Road, but he didn't just call him to salvation, he called him to a purpose in his life, different, better, beyond, above everything that he imagined. And we focus on that now. I want to focus on that for just a second because that's the same thing he calls us to. God does not call us to salvation, uh, and, and and that's it. Uh, I, Jordan loves basketball. I don't know why. I, I, I don't get it personally. But I get to see on Facebook and Twitter his friends and a number of my own friends who, who like it. And they're talking about the draft, uh, the NBA draft that just happened. Now, if he was watching football draft, I totally get it. That makes sense. But basketball, the only thing worse, like people were talking about the hockey draft. I mean, like two people were talking about the hockey draft. But the basketball draft was going on, and and then they're discussing who's getting paid what, and who's the biggest winner so far. Is it uh, Ola? Uh, what's his name at Golden State? Got two hundred million dollars. Uh, what was his name? I, Steph Curry. That's it. That's his. I knew it was there somewhere. I just don't want to think. Uh, how many years did he get that two hundred million? Five. Is that forty million a year? Okay, uh, that's a lot of money. Now, um, nobody's called me uh, to ask me to be on their team. Um, I, I had another friend on Facebook that said if if any teams are looking for a five six five seven uh, forty seven year old uh, to to fill a spot on the team, he would take the minimum. $815,000 a year to play for whoever. Now, imagine that one of y'all got the call to your team. Maybe it's not basketball. Maybe it's baseball for y'all or football for me. So imagine that, that a football team called and said, we want you to be on the team. Yes, I will be on your team. I, I don't have a favorite pro team, and I, they're not supposed to get paid for paying, playing for LSU. Um, not supposed to. Uh, but, you know, if LSU called and said, Michael, we want you to be on the team, I'd be excited. I, I, I get to be on LSU football team. And then I show up game day. You know, i got all the practices to do everything I'm supposed to. I show up on game day, 
and they say, all right, Michael, get in there and play. Oh, no. No, nah, I, just, I just came to sit on the bench. That's all I want to do. Thanks. I mean, I didn't come to play football. I just, I just like wearing the jersey. Well, as Christians, that's what a lot of us do. God invites us to the team. We, we, we accept salvation. We become Christians. Yes, I want to be a Christian. Absolutely, I want to follow Jesus. And he says, now, get in the game. It's, oh, no, God, I just wanted to sit on the bench. I, I just wanted to come on Sunday morning and listen, and maybe Sunday night, thank you all, uh, and listen. But uh, beyond that, no, I don't want to play. No, see, Paul tells us here that, that he was called not just to salvation, not just called to wear the jersey, but called to play the game. Christians, we are called to play the game, not just put on the clothes and the, uh, sing the fight songs and uh, get, the, get the snacks, but, but really get out there and play. So in, in his womb, he called his, by his God, and there's this, this, this little prepositional clause here, I think they're called maybe, who from my mother's womb set me apart and called me by his grace. So that's, that's subordinate here. But when God uh, was pleased to reveal his son, when God decided at Paul's advanced age of probably about 30, 35, something long in there, God chose to reveal Christ to Paul, reveal the gospel to Paul. And, and this, this was not some minor event. This was not one of those things that uh, you look back on and say, well, that was nice when that happened. This was Paul's uh, B.C. to A.D., before Christ uh, to, to Anno Domine. I mean, that, that's, that was his moment. And he looked back on that and said, at that moment when he chose to reveal Christ in me, reveal his son in me, reveal the gospel in me. Paul is telling us that a couple of things happened. It was he, God revealed Christ or revealed the gospel in Paul, one, so Paul would know him. That was the life that I talked about uh, a second ago. The uh, uh, let me come on tablet I confused it. Uh, that was the the life that he was called to. Paul being uh, re- Jesus being revealed in Paul, so Paul would know him. But also the the work, the uh, the the uh, well, I forgot what word I said. Okay, I'm never using my tablet again on the PowerPoint slides. This is ridiculous. Purpose, that's the word I used. Um, Called in him so Paul would know him. That's the life. The purpose in Paul so that others would know him. So that Paul would get in the game. We keep that analogy going here. Paul was called to... uh, Christ was revealed in Paul to call him to do these things. It was more than just to Paul. That should be our next bullet point. Christ was not just revealed to Paul. On the Damascus Road when he was blinded, when he heard the voice, God did not do some PowerPoint presentation and describe Jesus to Paul and say, alright, this is Jesus. I want you to get to know a lot about him and, and, and learn about him because you're going to tell people. He wasn't just revealed to Paul. It was revealed in Paul. And I, I can't explain to you that ha- how that happened exactly, except just to tell you that 
That should be what happens to all of us. Um, only similar analogy I could come up with uh, is when when we came to visit Sulphur the first time. Uh, now we had driven through Sulphur. I don't know how many times because my parents have lived in Baton Rouge ever since we lived in Texas, and we've been in Houston, San Antonio area since 2004. Uh, so I ten we have cut some ruts on I-10 going back and forth to Baton Rouge. So we've driven in Sulphur, I don't know how many times. The Cracker Barrel was our halfway point when we lived in Houston and lived in Kingwood. So if my parents were picking up the boys for a week or two, we'd meet at Cracker Barrel, eat lunch, drop off the boys, and then we'd go home. That was the halfway point. Believe me when I tell you, all Sulphur was to me was Cracker Barrel. Uh, I, I had no idea this part of Sulphur existed. I didn't know anything about the South. I mean, I knew about the factories, uh, the plants and all that, because I could see them. I had no idea. I literally thought Sulphur was three exits of hotels and restaurants. And that's all it was. Uh, and, and, and it was just because people went to Lake Charles and they stopped sooner than they got to Lake Charles. They, it was just hotels. I, I figured maybe there was a town of a few thousand people or something. I had no idea. When I came for that first visit, and, and uh, Stan drove us around in the church van with a couple other folks, um, we learned, I learned a lot about sulfur that I didn't know. I was introduced to sulfur. Uh, Stan revealed sulfur to me. But it took God to reveal sulfur in me. Because I'm called to pastor First Baptist Church, but uh, Ed Stetzer, a guy that worked for Lifeway for a lot of years and now is at Wheaton College at uh, Billy Graham School of Evangelism, said that a pastor, you pastors, you aren't just called to a church, you're called to a city. I'm called to reach sulfur. And we do that as a church, and I, I have pastoral roles, but my missionary role is to reach the city of sulfur. God revealed sulfur in me. That's about the best analogy I could come up with. Something, I ha, something different had to happen than me just looking around and saying, oh, you got a lot of good restaurants here and you know, some nice houses to live in. Great, we'd like to live here. God had to do the work in me to make uh, reaching sulfur a passion. Uh, that's what God did when he revealed the gospel in Paul revealed Jesus, revealed Christ in Paul. It, it was for his life of salvation, but it was also for his purpose, his calling. Something happens on the inside, as that next bullet point says. Uh, what is this gospel uh, that he says now in verse 16? Um, God was revealed, or pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him, preach uh his son among the Gentiles. This this gospel here, Jesus uh, or uh, his son. This is really synonymous for the gospel. What did what did Paul say the gospel was? Christ and Him crucified. He when he preached the gospel, he cre- preached Christ. So the gospel, and I'm going to use that word here for a couple of minutes. The gospel that Paul preached, we see um, six different characteristics of it here. Uh, 
this seemed like a good idea. Work. Okay. First characteristic of the gospel that Paul preached is it was it is apocalyptic. Apocalypsis. Uh, the apocalypse. Revelation. You know, if you use a King James Bible, it may still say the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Does anybody have that instead of Revelation? Does it say the apocalypse of Jesus Christ? Okay. They don't go back that far anymore. They change it. Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ is apocalypse. End times. The, the gospel that Paul preached is apocalyptic. It is end time rescue from the present of evil age. That's one of the things that the, the gospel does. Uh, the gospel that Paul preached is dynamic. It's a force that changes things. Last Sunday, I believe, in my sermonette, uh, after the, the VBS musical, uh, I used the verse um, Philippians. Yeah, can't remember what it was. Um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. The very words of the gospel, the very explanation of the gospel is power. We lose that idea. I know, I think Edda talked about that in Sunday school this morning. Um, we lose the idea that the, the, the gospel is the actual power. We think we have to be able to explain it well or answer questions or be in some way uh, attractive to the, to the person we're talking to so they'll listen to us or have their respect or have them like us. And, and of course, all of those things are nice. Uh, we don't want the person we're sharing the gospel with to hate us. Uh, that, that does make it difficult. But the gospel is the power. I'm not the power. You aren't the power. So when we hesitate to share the gospel, we are actually hesitating to trust in the very power that God gave the gospel to save people. We're, trust, we're, we're, we're lacking trust in God. It's what we're doing when we don't share the gospel. The, the gospel is dynamic the gospel changes people. Uh, the gospel Paul preached, the third thing, is charismatic. Kerygma is the word used in Greek for preaching, for heralding, for sharing. Uh, the, the gospel preaches a message. It's not just a personal testimony. Paul here is giving his testimony. A great way to introduce the gospel in a gospel presentation is to give your testimony. As a matter of fact, if you go through any evangelism training of the last... 30 or 40 years and probably longer, one of the things you are always going to have to do is to prepare a short testimony. Some people call it uh, the elevator testimony. It's, it's a testimony you should be able to give in the length of an elevator ride. Just a minute or two. What has God done for you? That is great. We need to be able to do that. But the, the gospel carries more than just a personal testimony. The power of the gospel or the power to change a life is not the power of my personal testimony. It's the power of the gospel. It is charismatic. It has a message in the gospel, not just what it can do for me, but what the gospel can do, what the gospel is. That was the gospel that Paul preached. Uh, the gospel that Paul preached was normative, is normative. It's the standard, and that's a lot of what Galatians is going to talk about. The gospel that he preached was the standard that every Christian after him should follow in, the, in preaching the gospel. There's nothing close to it, and to alter it is treachery and heresy. I've already given you the hint that later on, 
Uh, I, I did this a few weeks ago, and I'll tell you again, and we'll talk about it when we get there. Paul was clear that if we shift the gospel a fraction, you see how much I moved my hand? A fraction. We may as well have turned the other way. That much off the gospel is the same as that much off the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. You cannot alter it at all and it still be the gospel. The gospel is normative. The gospel that Paul preached is normative. Uh, the gospel that Paul preached is promissory. The only thing I know about the word promissory is the game of life. Isn't that where we had promissory notes? And I don't even know what they were for. A loan, is that what it is? It's a guarantee, I think. I, that's banking and real estate and stuff, and I don't know. I, I do know it's a guarantee. It's a promise. The gospel is a prom, is promissory. It is a promise. It's the result of everything we read in the Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament pointed, pointed to Jesus. Now, we can take this too far, and, and I'll tell you one way that it's being taken too far right now. Right now in, in the theological world, the academic theological world, there's a very strong push to have Christ-centered exposition of the Old Testament, Christ-centered preaching of the Old Testament. And, and there should be. There absolutely should be. Because for a long time, what we preached from the Old Testament was read a story from the Old Testament. Now, what should we do because of that? Oh, we should be like so and so. Amen. Let's go home. That tended to be our focus. And that's not bad. That's not wrong because that is part of the focus of the Old Testament. There, If you want to know everything you're not supposed to do as a Jesus follower, read Judges. Judges is a wonderful example of what not to do. Um, it's they did evil, 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 they did evil. Hey, one guy did something right. They did evil, 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 they did evil. The guy that did something right, he doesn't do anything right anymore. He he's gone. They did evil, they did evil, they did evil. I mean, if you want to see what not to do, read Judges. Okay, but if you want to understand why we need a king. Why we need not a, an earthly king like they wanted, but a heavenly king that controls our entire lives? Read Judges. Because Judges points not to the need for Saul, not to the need for David, but it points to the need for Jesus. So that's how you do Christ-centered exposition. And there's a strong push to do that, and I'm thankful for that. In a lot of ways, it's helpful. But sometimes they go a little too far. Uh, for example, the most current one I've seen is the, David and Goliath. And, and, and we have too often said David is an, and Goliath an example is an example of you overcoming the giants in your life. And that is true. That is us facing an obstacle that we cannot overcome and trusting in God to do what we cannot do. That's the story of David and Goliath. The bigger story of that, though, is in my life, the one obstacle I cannot overcome is sin. The most important obstacle or the, the, the one obstacle that I could never overcome on my own is sin. And Jesus defeated sin for me. 
Now that's that's the 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 Jesus lesson from that story. Now what some guys want to do is go a little too far and say, even though David and Goliath really happened, well David was Jesus, Goliath is sin, and all the Israelites are us. And they will tell you. Now I've gotten into arguments on Facebook, and we all know how profitable those are. Um, about it where they will tell you, no, no, it has nothing to do with defeating anything in your life. It's all about, no, okay? We can't, we don't want to take it too far. But we do want to see that, yes, David and Goliath pointed to Jesus. The judges pointed to Jesus. All the way back to creation points to Jesus. The, the, the day they fell, Adam and Eve in the garden, the day they fell, God said, uh, the proto Evangelion, the, the pre-evangelism, the pre-gospel message was Genesis 3.15. He, you will have seed. He, uh, the, the serpent will strike his heel, but he will, cr- the seed will crush his head. That's Jesus. The, the, the serpent bit Jesus on the cross, thought he had won, but at the cross, Jesus crushed his head. That points... That verse points all the way to Jesus. Abraham, the blessing of Abraham is is Jesus. It all points to Jesus. Old Testament is the promise, or rather the gospel is the result of the Old Testament promise of Jesus. So that's the gospel Paul preached, promissory. And it was universal. The the message that Paul preached and this... The 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 uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, the missionary to the Gentiles. Peter did it first. Cornelius and some folks around Israel, uh, Jerusalem, that were hearing the gospel but weren't Jews and were being converted. And everybody's going, "Whoa, hold on now! Was this supposed to happen?" And Paul comes along and says, "Oh, absolutely, it was supposed to happen. And I am the one called to do it. You know, you support me, go with me, whatever. But I'm the one going. Uh, it was for everybody at all times." But we have to be careful with that word universal because we can get into universalism that says everybody gets saved. And that's not the way it works. It is for everybody. It will not be accepted by everybody. It will not be believed everybody. So that's what those related requirements are. And the related requirement is faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. The related requirement isn't do this, do this, do this, and believe in Jesus and you can be saved. That's not the related requirement I'm talking about. So if you see that and you think, oh, you have to do certain things to be saved, you have to be certain ways. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. It's not universal in that everybody gets saved. It's universal in that everybody can. But in order to be saved, you must respond to the gospel. There's no second chance. I love uh, I love C.S. Lewis, uh, absolutely one of my favorite authors, uh, defenders of the faith. Um, he's, he's been accused of being a universalist in his uh, beliefs about salvation. He actually wasn't. He, he did believe in a form of purgatory, though. Uh, but even that wasn't exactly the purgatory that we think of. What Lewis believed was that when people who have never heard the gospel die, they get one more chance. And if they had heard heard the and and their as he how did he put it their decision is based on how they would have responded in life so in death they get that one shot and if they would have accepted Christ had they been given the opportunity God apparently knows then they will accept him at this one shot but 
not everybody will. It, it reflects their life. I don't think it works that way. Um, uh, you don't get a second shot. You don't get another opportunity. I believe it was a evangelist. I think it was Vance Havner. But you know how quotes get misappropriated sometimes. Uh, mis, uh, misappropriated. Um, said the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. That's true. The reason we are concerned about unreached, unengaged people groups around the world that, that don't have any gospel presence is because we believe that right now, today, thousands and thousands of people died and went to hell because we did not take the gospel to them. Because we did not get the gospel there. Their salvation depends on the gospel message. And Christians aren't taking the gospel. It's only good news if it gets there in time. It's universal. It's for all people. It's for all times. But it's not automatic. We've got to take the gospel to people because they don't get the second chance that that purgatory hopes for, that Lewis hoped for. You're dead and you're done. And and that's a, that, that should hurt us, not say, wow, tough tough to be them. So, I did not immediately, I'm still in 16 now, uh, he revealed his son so he, I, he could preach Jesus among the Gentiles. Here is the, the, the commissioning to the Gentiles that I talked about. Uh, that's that universal there, uh, uh, the universal um, uh, gospel that Paul preached. Uh, and and Paul would not have thought about preaching to the Gentiles if God had not called him specifically to it. I mean, look at the surprise uh, of Peter and the disciples when uh, uh, Gentiles were getting saved. It was like they were like, "Wait a minute! This is this is kind of our thing. This is this is a Jewish thing. Jesus came to us. Uh, this is grown out of our faith. So th- this is odd. The Romans." The reason the Romans didn't initially persecute Christians is because the Romans just considered Christianity a, a, a version of Judaism, a sect of, of Judaism. You had uh, the Sadducees, which was kind of a sect of Judaism. You had the Pharisees, a sect of Judaism. You had the Essenes. You've probably heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, the, the, where... We get the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Essenes. They were a sect of Judaism. And Rome just saw Christianity as a sect of Judaism. But it took a little while before they realized, because, you know, people like Paul, um, and said, wait a minute, this doesn't look like Judaism anymore. This is this is something different. We can get along with the Jews. The Rome, Romans allowed Jews to worship. They didn't allow Christians. Um so Paul would have never thought, hey, Gentiles, that's, that's somebody for us to, to reach. And as a matter of fact, this law-free gospel to the Gentiles is what caused the uproar that led to the writing of the Galatians, writing to the Galatians. It was this idea that he could take the gospel to, to uh, Gentiles and they, not have to, and, and, and they would not have to go through Jewish law. They wouldn't have to follow the feasts. They wouldn't have to be circumcised. They wouldn't have to do all these things to be Jewish first and then Christian. That's uh, that's the commissioning. That's that law-free gospel that Paul was 
uh, was taking to them. But even though Paul had that commission, even though Paul still Paul knew his focus, knew his uh, uh, knew the the need, the intense need to take the gospel to the Gentiles all the way as far as he could in Europe at the time, Spain, and and, and hopefully on into what they knew of the British Isles and up in that area. He still ached for the salvation of his people. Romans nine three tells us that uh, in, in Romans 9.3, Paul says that if he could, he would even give up his own salvation to see his people, the Jews, saved. So Paul was burdened this, this, by this gospel to preach to everybody, but he knew, and we see here, that his calling was the Gentiles. But where did God, Paul go first every town he went to? The synagogues. That's right. First place he went every time, he was taking the gospel to his people. And he'd preach it for a while until he got kicked out, and then he'd take it to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles would come to know Jesus. And, and there would be a, a, a church formed, and it would be a mix of folks. Uh, and that was, his, uh, that was God's plan. God used the Jewish rejection to reach the Gentiles. That, that was the plan all along. It didn't look like the plan to everybody who was... I mean, how often does it look like God's plan when things happen to us? But then we look back and we say, Oh, I see what God was doing now. That Clearly. But at the time, it doesn't look like it. Well, while Paul ached for his Jewish brothers and sisters to come to Christ, God used that rejection to reach the Gentiles, to push, initially, to push the church out of Jerusalem. They got run out of Jerusalem and went to Antioch. Antioch was really where the missionary society began. That's where Paul was sent from. That's where Barnabas was sent from. Silas. That's where the missionaries were sent out from. Antioch. Outside of the Jewish heartland. Paul, uh, Jesus, God, used that rejection to reach us. And that's... And I, I'm, I'm kind of glad that there were some hard-headed folks that wouldn't hear the gospel so that we got to. And then in verse 17, he says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to those who had become apostles before me. Instead, I went to Arabia and came back to Damascus. This was a, a time of, verse 17 was a time of special preparation for Paul. Uh, he didn't get this preparation from anybody except Christ. Uh, there's no indication that he learned anything from anyone other than Christ. Why did he go to Arabia? Uh, Arabia could have meant anywhere from west west of Israel all the way down in the Negev Desert south all the way to the Arabian Peninsula below them. So Arabia could have been a lot of, of, of uh, different places. Uh, but why to Arabia? Well, first to learn in solitude. He began learning under Ananias in Damascus. But then he went, took kind of a hermit's life. And just spent time with God, with Jesus, learning from Him. And as a matter of fact, we have uh, he, he says things in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, and other places. I got this directly from Jesus. I mean, he tells us about the Lord's Supper. What I receive from the Lord, he says. He wasn't at the Lord the, the Last Supper. Jesus told him about it. Probably here in Arabia, he learned in solitude. He probably went there to preach. Uh, the area they figure he went to was uh, the areas of Petra and Bostra. 
uh, those were thriving cities. He probably went to practice his preaching. He had never shared the gospel, so he went to learn. And interestingly enough, there's no record of a Christian community from this time. Paul was a failed church planter, to, to put it into some context. He went to Arabia, he preached, and we have no com- Christian community. It may show that his methods weren't good, maybe his, his knowledge still needed to be honed, don't know exactly why, but Paul failed at the missionary journey, best we can tell, these first few years of his young Christian life. Uh, he didn't do such a hot job in Athens either. If you go back and you read about debating on Mars Hill, it, it, it didn't, didn't work out well in Athens. Other places, great success. But even Paul struggled in planting new churches. Paul struggled in evangelism. That should make us feel good. Uh, When the author of most of the New Testament, even he struggled. Even he failed at the task sometimes of convincing, of sharing, of of starting. It certainly makes a failed church planter like me feel better uh, that, uh, you know, they don't always succeed. So... um, That's it. That got us three verses. 